Today I'm starting a brand new mini-series called The Resistance. And it's just this week and next week, it's kind of a spin-off of uh, last week's emphasis on, on fighting. And so it's really kind of a three-week fight theme. So uh, I think it's important that we talk about these things every once in a while uh, because stuff happens in life and we need to fight them. There are a lot of things that happen to us that we need to be aggressive and fight back with instead of acquiescing and just letting life happen to us. I mean, don't you hate it when someone hurts you? You get offended at someone, you, you try to let go of the offense that's come your way, but it just keeps haunting you and controlling your emotions and you just can't break out of it. Have you ever tried to do something great and maybe something risky, but you failed miserably and now you're thinking, I can't do anything anymore? Have you ever doubted that God even really exists, that he cares about you and knows what's going on in your life? Maybe you've tried reading the Bible and, and, and you set yourself up to do some devotions or go through a, a Bible reading thing and, and pray more, but you failed and you messed up and so you gave up and you quit. So I can't do this anymore. Maybe you've tried to be more generous, but the pressures of life and circumstances and stuff just comes at you and mind games cause you just to retreat and to back off. Maybe you're stuck. You just feel like you're stuck because of relationships or because of the economy or because of your work or, or a physical dynamic, a situation you're dealing with, and it just keeps swirling around you and, and it keeps you beat down. You can't move forward. And maybe it's some kind of a disturbing, diabolical temptation and you keep trying to close the door on it, but you just can't. Maybe you just feel like you're lonely you're isolated and nobody understands. Well, I want to tell you this. There is this very real resistance that is working against you. It is real. It's diabolical. It's deadly and it's malicious and it is disguised. But this, this resistance is also defeated. It's important to understand this as we go into this series. It is defeated. Now, I know you're thinking, well, if it's defeated, then why am I dealing with it, you know? Well, well, the truth is it's not eliminated until eternity, which is after this life. But whenever you pick up the Bible and you read the Bible, you're going to discover that the resistance is defeated. But in the meantime... We still have to deal with it, but it can be overpowered. It can be defeated, and we simply need to be equipped for this battle so that we can, un so that we can do this battle, and, and we need to understand the tactics of the resistance. Today, I'm, my, my message is a little different. My message is more teaching-oriented, so I encourage you to think and open your mind up and think about this because what I'm teaching you today is information. These are tactics that the resistance uses against you in your life. And I'm, I'm encouraging you to hear this and to understand this so that you can be equipped to properly do battle. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians that, that Satan does try to outwit us. And, and, and we need to be careful to not allow Satan to outwit us. And so we don't want to be unaware of the schemes that Satan's using. So today, what I'm doing is I'm teaching. I'm exposing the schemes that the enemy uses that, that, that's, that happened to us in life, and I'm calling it, and I've kind of entitled it under this grand title, The Resistance. 
Today and next Sunday, I'm going to be giving you some practical knowledge, some tactics and some tools and some strategies to overcome the resistance so that you can know the schemes so that Satan will not outwit you so that you'll be educated and equipped to take some steps forward because the resistance wants to hold you back. The resistance wants to keep you from serving God. So, so the, the, the big thing that I'm going to encourage you to do is to resist this resistance that's in your life. And today I'm laying the foundation. I'm giving you some specific strategies. And the resistance really is threefold. There are three parts to it. It is the, the world, the flesh, and the devil. And we're going to go through those three today. I'm going to talk to you about those three elements of the resistance and what this means. And, and the world basically speaks of our culture. The flesh speaks about our desires. And the devil speaks about the deceptions and the lies that the enemy brings. But this resistance, it is a, it's a foreboding force that, that, that prevents you from being everything that God has already wired you to be and has set you up to be because God has created you to be something wonderful and the resistance is going to try to keep you back from that. And I'm here to expose it so that you can be what God has designed you to be. The resistance is also this nagging voice that says, God can't love you. God can't use you because you failed. You're a miserable loser. So therefore, you can't be used by God. The resistance is also this paralyzing memory of, of, of pain, of, of throbbing pain that just takes dominance in your mind and in your emotions sometimes. It, it paralyzes you and keeps you from returning to anything good. And, and so what you want to do is you just want to continue to numb your life and, and it slowly sucks away your potential of a hope and a future until you just say, I give up. The resistance also is in, comes in this form of rancid regret that just sours your spirit and it steals your peace. The resistance is, is t deception. It's temptation that trips you up over and over again. So these three parts of the resistance we're going to nail today. So, so here's the first part. Here's the first element of the resistance. And really, these three do overlap, and, and all three are at work at the same time. But I'm going to distinguish the three so that we can begin to understand how we do battle. So as I go through this message, you're going to hear various things like, yeah, I, I understand that. Yeah, that's what I'm dealing with. And then you're going to hear the strategies and the tools, and I encourage you to write some things down, take some notes, and listen, because I think God's speaking to many of you in very specific ways today. The first part of the resistance is what I call the world. The world is defined this way. This is my definition. It's the values, the standards, and the practices of culture that are in contrast with the Bible. And the world is not the physical earth. We're not talking about rocks and stones and water and vegetation. But what we're talking about is culture that is opposed to God. Now, now uh, Jesus prayed about this. In John chapter 17, I'm not going to take the time to read through it, but I encourage you to. Jesus prays this prayer for all of his followers. He's praying a prayer for us. And in this prayer, Jesus prays over and over about the issues of the world and how we must be separate from it and yet be a part of it and how we must influence it. This is Jesus' last prayer before he goes to the cross. So, so it's, it's good to read this and and, and we, we hear Jesus' concern for us as influencers in the world. 
but he doesn't want us to be influenced by the world, but understands that we must be in the culture and in the world. So that's why, really, I kind of use this, this other term to go with the world. I, I want to keep the world, that term there, because that's what's used in the Bible, but a good way to understand it today is simply our culture. It's these values, it's, it's practices, it's standards of society that are actually very far from God. Basically what it does, it normalizes what should not be normal. Last night I was sitting with my wife and we were watching a, uh, a documentary from the Holocaust and some stuff I had never even heard about. And it's just interesting. I thought I've heard all the Holocaust stories, and I know there's so many more out there, but I was watching this incredible documentary, and it just, just opened my eyes to so much more. And every time I look at that, every time I hear something about that, part of me thinks, how in the world could a whole nation do what they did and just simply exterminate so many people? kill them, just to murder them. How could they do that? And, and really, in our culture, we just look at it and think, oh, that's crazy. They, they, were, they were just, you know, stupid Europeans or whatever. You're just going to call them names and say, well, that's Germans or whatever. But really, it's, it's, not, it's not a European thing. It's not a German thing. Really, what it is, is it was a culture that had been nurtured and created. It, just, it had been created and nurtured for many years under this man, Adolf Hitler. And he nurtured this culture of, of being simply against Jews. And so they put out the propaganda and that, that propaganda became part of the culture, which compared the Jewish people to rats and saying they're here to steal everything. They're here to take from you. And this didn't just happen overnight. We're talking about years and years and years of this began piling up. And, and so then at a certain point, you have children who had seen these things in the movie theaters and who had heard about it all their life. By the time they're young adults, well, they're ready to enlist because the culture had been shifted to a degree where people saw, uh, felt and believed that it's right and it's appropriate and it's normal to go ahead and kill as many of the people who disagree with you as possible to simply get rid of them, starve them to death and kill them. That is a, now that's an extreme, very, uh, uh, just very overt example of how culture can literally change the mind of an entire nation. And I, it's not that, not that overt right now, but I, I'm telling you there are things that are in the culture we have to watch for because we can easily find our way into this and we're just kind of floating along the cultural river, not even realizing that the things we're lining up with are actually in total contrast with what God's Word says. See, the, 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 this, the culture is this overwhelming sense of resistance that tries to keep us from reaching our potential. And God put this potential in you so, so the culture is going to try to drain it and suck it away. And what it will do is it will it'll, it'll begin to, to quench your sense of passion and will try to keep you very, very far from God, keep you focused on other things other than the things of God. Now, an example is just even forms of entertainment. We have a society that is very, very enthralled with entertainment. It's all around us. I mean, my goodness, right here in downtown, it's everywhere. It's all over the place. And, and again, I'm not anti-culture. I'm not anti-entertainment. I like entertainment. But but, but entertainment has its, can have its way of just slowly diluting us until there's nothing left. Uh, you know, just cultural messages that basically say, hey, nobody's going to tell me how to live or how to run my life. I'm going to do my own thing. Or culture says, accumulate more stuff. Or culture says, live as safe and as comfortable as possible. And, and that is the resistance that actually presses us against us, which numbs us, which causes us to be completely ineffective. And that's not how I want to live my life. 
So I encourage you to resist the resistance, resist the world. Now, how do you do that? I'm going to share with you very quickly two ways to resist the world. Here's the first one. The first way to resist the world is to engage it. Engage, basically, the culture. Be engaged in the culture, and yet at the same time, don't be fused to it. Uh, it's kind of like this. If, if you are separate, completely separate from the culture, and you're, you're over here doing your own thing, it doesn't, you're, you're, you're just separated from it, and, and you're not able to engage it. But if you're engaging it, kind of, like the, the, kind of like two gears engaging one another, they're working together. You're able to, to touch the culture, to influence the culture, but you're not fused to it. You're not a part of it, but you're engaged with the culture. And that's what I believe we're supposed to do. That's what the Bible teaches us. But if you're separate, completely separate from the culture, you become weird and obtuse. And if you're weird and you're obtuse, you, you're not making an impact and you're setting yourself up actually to be extremely vulnerable to the godless elements of the culture. There's this man by the name of Howard Hughes, and many of you have heard his story. He was one of the wealthiest men in the mid, uh, mid-20th century and and he was a, he's the guy who, who, who came up with TWA Airlines, which doesn't exist anymore. About 10 years ago, American Airlines took him over. But, uh, but it's just a famous airlines. He, was a, he, he made movies. He, he was just a genius. And, but, but in his later years, he became more and more isolated from the culture. And he isolated himself and locked himself into a germ-free environment where he could be totally alone, locked down. And, and what ended up happening is as a, res, as a result of being completely separate from everything, he ended up dying of the common cold. My wife and I, we took our, our honeymoon in Acapulco. We saw the place that he lived in. They said, yeah, that's the place up on the hill where Howard Hughes lived. That's where he spent his last few years until he died. That's where his little isolation room was. And, and that's, that's a tragedy. But what happened is he had no more resistance. He was out of touch. He was basically had no more impact, and therefore he died of just the smallest thing. And so we can't hide from the world. You can't hide from culture because God's actually caused, uh, called us to change it. In fact, John 17, Jesus, during his prayer, it's very clear that God sent us into the culture or the world to actually be an agent of change. Now, now the resistance actually wins when we pull back and we hide from the world. What we do here at our church is we equip you to go into the world to be a light in darkness, to influence the influencers, to engage the culture, to be present in the culture, to understand the culture and reach people in the culture who are far from God. Uh, and, and, and what we do is we just simply continue to move our lives closer to Jesus and we bring other people along with us. But the Bible gives us very clear boundaries and guidelines on how to live within that culture. And we simply live by the standards of God. God's word and instead of the standards of the culture. So we use our presence in the culture to reach people who are far from God and influence those who create culture themselves. We shape culture. You know, we, if, you have the, if you have the opportunity to even shape culture in your own city or, or within your own uh, workplace or neighborhood, you, you should do so. Whether it's in business, education, government, science, do that. Influence the culture and befriend the other culture makers. That's one of the things that we must do. But, but uh, so one way, I guess you could say, is for, for us to, to deal with the resistance of the world is to actually engage the culture itself, yet not be 
fused to it where you are actually one with it, but it's to be separate and it's to be distinct. Now, now if you're fused to the culture, if you're one with the culture and you're not distinct, then you are no longer what Jesus would call the cultural seasoning that we're supposed to be. You can no longer be the beacon of light that Jesus wants us to be. So the other part of how we resist the world is to stand firm. What we do is we, we take God's truth, and that's why it's important that we learn God's truth, understand it, and it becomes part of it. We take God's truth, and we, we, it becomes our foundation because that's solid and it's consistent. In fact, God's Word has always outlasted and outlived every single cultural shift. So we stand firm on God's truth without fear not afraid. We can stand in the middle of culture on God's truth and it will work. We keep our feet planted on God's word and we lean in toward other believers, other people who believe in Christ and who are also standing firm on God's word. We just don't quit trusting God and we just refuse to, to live in fear. See, the culture that we're in, it can be like swirling waters all around us. And, and, uh, and, and But the thing is, if you're standing on something firm, even in the middle of swirling waters, you can be stable. You're going to be okay. For example, again, the culture will say, accumulate more stuff so that you can be happy. But God's word says, you are blessed so that you can be a blessing. And when you're generous, you're actually blessed. In marriage, the culture says this. It says, put me first. And I am In my marriage, I'm going to put myself first. But that's, that's not God's way. God's way says something very different, which makes marriage work, which puts the spouse first, puts, put his needs first, put her needs first. And then this initiates this reciprocal blessing in marriage, and you can move forward with one purpose. See, that's God's way. See, churches... Uh, Church is important, but the, but but again, the culture will say, "Oh, it's not that important. We don't, you don't need that." But see, what the Bible says: this is your place to lean into one another, so that you're not isolated. Because if you're isolated, the truth is, you're going to get picked off. And it all comes down to simply trusting God and trusting what God says. The Bible says it this way: it says, "Trust God from the very bottom of your heart." Don't try to figure everything else out on your own, but listen to God's voice in everything that you do and everywhere you go, and he will be the one who will keep you on track. So we resist the culture by engaging it, but not being fused to it. Instead, of, instead we stand on God's word in the middle of the culture. That's how we resist the world. We resist that part. Now, the second part of the resistance is our flesh. This is the second element here, and, and our flesh, I define it this way, it is our old pattern of living rooted in selfishness. That's really what it is. Now, the flesh is part of our resistance. The world or the culture is the external battle, but there's this internal battle, it's the flesh which is inside of us, and it, it's these desires, that, and they distract us from our potential. You're, you're headed in this certain direction. You're moving forward, but these desires, these things get in the way, and you get sidetracked, and you move over here. And, and, and all of these desires really are rooted in some form of selfishness. And so it's, in, it, and it's important to understand that, that there's part of us that is, that is kind of hardwired to live a certain way, that we did before we knew God. And we just want to kind of keep going back to that default. So we have to learn to resist the flesh. That's the second part of the resistance. So, so the way to do this, though, is to choose pathways of discipline. Choose pathways of discipline. This is how you resist the flesh. Resist the culture of the world very differently than you resist the flesh. 
And really everything that happens within our church and, you know, so much of what happens is all about equipping you to deal with this resistance. But I'm just making it very clear today what it is. So you deal with the flesh by following this, this pathway of discipline. And with God's help, you can do it. You can, you can resist the resistance and you can break out of selfish desires when they're there. See, the flesh is working for the resistance to pull you down and, and you have to resist it. So you cannot let your desires derail your destiny. Instead, you subject your flesh to the Spirit. You stay on this pathway of God-enabled discipline. You're not going to get sidetracked and, and walk off into some forest and thus derailing your destiny. You really, there's this whole thing of, of selfishness and, and the flesh. It's kind of like a, a deep, dark forest. When I was a little kid, a really little kid, I was living in the state of Washington. And, uh, and the state of Washington, they have forest everywhere. There's just, they're, 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 we called it the woods. And, but but I, I remember clearly, I was warned about the dangers of it. You go too far, you can't figure out where you are, and you get lost. And so, so as a little kid, I, and I was there when I was three, four, five years old, so I just have these vague memories of it. But I remember slowly going in and out and in and out so that I could kind of learn my way around. But, but one day, I was, I, was, I was in the woods, and it was dark, and again, there's not much sunlight that comes in at, at that time, and I remember being in there. I was about five years old, and I could hear far away my mom's calling me. She's saying, Timmy, come home, and, and, I, and I heard her. I heard her calling me, and I yelled back, and I said, okay, Mom. Well, my little voice didn't carry like hers did. Hers was echoing across the hills. I don't know how it worked, but Mom had this voice, you know, she just belted it out. I'm hollering back, and she's not, she's not hearing me. She's not hearing me, and I'm thinking, okay, I'll, I'll go back. And I turned around, and I looked, and I thought, I've gone in further than I've ever been before. I don't know which way to go. Five years old. Lost in the woods in Washington State. You know, that's just like pretty stupid. I guess people used to let their kids do that in those days. I don't know. I don't, I don't think we would do that in today's world. But, but I, was, I was kind of lost and looking around trying to figure out which way to go. And, and then I would see a tree that I recognized or I would see a rock that I remember before. And, and, and fortunately, I eventually made my way out and got back down. And, and when I got home, my mom was angry at me. She was angry at me. She said, she said do you realize that I called you one hour ago, one hour ago, and I was about to call the police. Well, I mean, it was a little town of like 50 people. I don't know who the police would even be. To, to, they'd have to get someone off the job to go and do something like that. But, but, uh, but, but, but she was so worried. And, and, and I remember sitting, I'll never forget it. I remember sitting there at the table because she had lunch for me. And, and she had tomato soup, which was my favorite, but the tomato soup was cold. And she said, you're going to eat your tomato soup cold because you're going to remember, don't ever do this again. And so I ate my cold tomato soup, and I remembered, and I never did that again. But you see, what happens is when you go into this, the woods draws you in. The, the dark, deep forest draws you in. But it's this place that looks enticing. Like, yeah, I can go in there, and, and even in your own selfish desires, that's what it really is like. It's, it's the flesh. It's your selfish desires. It's, it's I can go in there and, and nobody's going to see me. I can, I can find all of this gratification outside of the pathway of God, which is outside of this dark forest. And 
I don't want to do the focused discipline right now. I just want to relax. And what happens is you lose your bearings. You begin walking in circles and you're going nowhere. And you worked on this pathway of your destiny, which was God-given uh, disciplines. But you're no longer on that pathway of your destiny. You're just going in circles of going from one thing to another, to another, to another. That's why Galatians says this. It says, walk by the Spirit and then you'll not gratify the desires of your flesh. In other words, walk on this pathway of God's discipline. And there's this tension that's here that, because there are temptations and desires that are going to distract you from God's purposes in your life. And we even like this idea. It's like, yeah, I like the idea of living by the Spirit. But then again, we have needs. You know, I have needs. But the reality is, the reality is those are not needs. They're strong, selfish desires. They're some of your default leanings. And we begin to depart from this pathway of discipline and we stroll into our dark forest. And then we begin to lean into things that we shouldn't be leaning into. And it encourages, it, it, it's things like this. It's, it's isolation. You lean into discouragement. You lean into substances. You lean into jealousy. You even lean into self loathing or even self-adulation. I'm telling you guys, that is not the path of life. That is a very dangerous place where you're only fulfilling these desires of the flesh. So you fight back against this discouragement. You have to fight back up against those things. I mean, a couple of weeks ago, we were dealing with some stuff in our house and and I, I, it was it was just a pain. We most of you know we just finally moved, and we were so excited getting into our new house and and getting in there and everything. And and after we'd been in there. Just a, just a couple of weeks, the air conditioner went out. And, 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 and it's, again, it is summertime. I know it's officially spring, but come on, I'm a Texan. It is summer. I know it is summer. And so, so we're there, and, and the air conditioner goes out. This is not pleasant. This isn't good. Well, eh, we're trying to get this fixed. It's a new house. I mean, the, the house is just totally remodeled. Everything's new in it. So, so well, let's call the AC guy, and he, he won't answer his phone. He won't come out. And, and, and like, how am I going to get the, the, the AC person to come out here and fix this? That Come on. I mean, come on. It's been running for two whole weeks for its whole life. He can come out and fix it. But but the, the air conditioner's out, and this thing lasted for almost two weeks, the two weeks of no AC. And so, so you know, it's like, okay, that's kind of discouraging. And then during about three days into the, the, the siege of the air conditioners, all of a sudden I'm downstairs and I'm hearing this noise, this gurgling sound, and we have water coming, not water, sewage coming out of the toilet and out of the downstairs shower just coming up and just kind of, kind of flowing into the house, and I'm just like, this is not good. This is less than optimal. It's not only hot and sweaty in the house, now we have sewage running through the house. So what are we going to do? And I'm plunging. I'm doing all the right things, thinking I'm doing everything right, and, and I think I have it fixed. And, and then Rebecca says, oh, you know what? I can, if I, I'm going to take a bath upstairs. Is that okay if I drain the water? I'm like, oh, yeah, I got it all fixed. Well, as soon as she drains the water, bam. I mean, we have the next wave of the flood. And, and this, this just goes on and on and on. I mean, we spent 10 days learning how to always watch what was going on there using our shop vac as the sewage picker-upper. And, and, and again, it's like, okay, we, we need the right guy to come out and fix this. And they come out and find, oh, we can't figure out what's going on. And we have the city come out and a plumber and another plumber. Finally, they get it and, and come to find out the, the air conditioner was fixed one day and the, 
and the uh, the sewage was fixed the next day. It was kind of nice. Well, we're like back to normal. Like, so this is how normal people live, huh? But but uh, but it was kind of awesome. But but we found out that every, everything had been kind of sabotaged because some of the contractors weren't paid. And when the house was was finished up, it was not our fault. But 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 they weren't paid. And and so what ended up happening is they sabotaged stuff in the house. And so we got rid of all the sabotage. But at the same time, we're dealing with all that. It's no fun. And and you know during this time, uh, you know my Rebecca's mother called her and says, hey, you know, I have cancer and, and, and money's really tight. And, and then in the middle of all this, at the same time, I, I get a call from, from one of my sons and he's an hour away and he says, dad, the car won't start. Won't. Well, what he ended up doing, he put diesel in the car. I don't even know how he did that. So I'm looking at all this thing singing, what is going on now? My flesh, my desires would be just shut down, forget it all, Go away, just just drift off into never never land because this is not working because I, I am not having a happy week. This is not not a good experience. But but see what we do is we stay disciplined under stress and know that God still has a plan and that God's gonna work things out. You just keep moving forward instead of going into this dark place and letting it close in on you. So how do we resist the flesh? Well, one of the things we need to do is what I call counter moves. So are you a complainer? Are you the type of person who just complains all the time? Well, one of the things to do is start maybe a praise journal and think of, thank God, and write it even down of, of things that, 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 uh, that, that make you happy. Thank God for someone or something. And, and, and because what happens is a grateful heart, what it does is it counteracts the flesh. Be disciplined. Make yourself do it. Are you discouraged? Then sing. That's one of the reasons why we sing. We sing a song to God. Be disciplined. Make yourself do it. Are you angry? Then laugh. Just refocus your energy. It'll help. Be disciplined. Make yourself do it. Are you fighting with your spouse? Then simply say, I'm sorry. Make some new commitments. Be disciplined. Make yourself do it. Fight the flesh. Are you greedy? Well, then give and be disciplined. Make yourself do it. Are, are you upset with your boss or someone who's in authority in your life? Well, then go the extra mile. Do the opposite. Be disciplined. Make yourself do what feels outside of your comfort zone. Don't just go into the dark forest. Us. If you have lust, then what you do is you set up accountability. Just be disciplined. Make yourself do it. You resist the resistance, and you can do this. And God has given you the power to do so. And you discipline yourself to use these counter moves as you stay on this pathway of God's truth. Now, the thing is, you are disciplined people at your core. I, I know you guys. You, you diet and you exercise. You're, you're disciplined in your social life. You're disciplined in your education. You're disciplined in your work ethic and in your business skills. And so here's what I encourage you to do. You already have discipline. Use that same discipline now to resist the flesh and choose this pathway of godly disciplines that's going to counteract this forest of self-focused desire. So there's the world, which is the culture. We resist that. There's the flesh, which is the selfish desires. We resist that. And the third one is this. Third part of the resistance is the devil. The devil is this force of evil. He is real, not just a mystical force, but a force of evil that opposes God at every level. What the devil wants to do is to undermine you and to weaken your faith. Basically, here, here, here's the way to look at what the, how the devil works. If God is for something, 
Satan is against it. It's just the way that it works. If God is on this side, Satan is on the opposite side. But he's also very smooth about it. He's not really, really uh, in your face with it most of the time. Because what, what, what the devil does is he'll take an element of God's truth. And then he'll, he'll twist one little part of the element and add this little portion to it or twist this little portion over here, which begins to twist our minds and, and makes us reason and, and engages our emotions and then leads us into sin. I mean, Satan's strategy has not stopped since the very first sin. That's what he did with Eve in the Garden of Eden. I mean, come on, they had everything. They had everything. There was only one rule. You know, you can't eat from that tree. That's it. That's it. That's the one rule. And Satan had this way of tempting her by questioning things. Well, you know, let's let's take a look at this. And he slowly lured her in to sin, and he got her to question God. He got her to question God's motives. He got Eve to question God's honesty. And he does the same thing with us, causing us to derail our faith. And when we do that, we're in his grip. That's why the Bible says that we need to be alert and be of a sober mind. Because the enemy, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion. He's just looking for someone to chew up. Not just to munch on, but to, the Bible says, consume. He, his, his goal is your destruction. So the Bible says how we do this, this the, the devil, this part of the resistance is we must resist him and we stand firm in our faith. He's sneaky. He's dangerous. He has a plan to devour you. So we resist the devil. We resist the resistance. And when we resist the resistance, he will flee from you. He's going to keep attacking your faith. Devil's, devil's going to throw things out there. He's going to throw out a fence, doubting the Bible. He's going to get you to try to doubt your pastor or doubt the church or distrust. And what happens is, is, is you look at someone else who's less perfect and you go, oh, but you know what? They're, they're not very perfect, and so it's okay. And, and you know, it's actually okay to sin and to do this. And so then you sin, and then what happens? You, got, you know how the cycle works. You sin, and then, then all of a sudden there's this guilt. And you're trying to think, well, maybe I, I can push past this guilt. And, and, and then, then you're thinking, well... After what I've done, God is sick of me. God's angry at me. God doesn't care about me. And so then you drop back, and then you begin to microanalyze others. Going, well, they just think they're so good, or they think they're so good. And you, you begin to drop back further and further and further into this darkness. That's how Satan works. It's alluring, and it's a distraction. His goal is, is actually exposed for us in John 10.10. 10. His goal is to steal from you, to kill you, and destroy you. That's a pretty bad goal for you. That's his goal for your life. But Jesus came that you may have life and have it to the full. And he wants you to make you feel like everything is your fault and it's other people's fault so that you'll hate yourself and you'll hate other people and then your faith is going to die. You, you know, a, a team that has no need to win, they have nothing to play for because they're a losing team, they, they basically are what you call a spoiler because they've already lost. In, in the end result, they, they can't win. It, they're not going to win. They're not going to come out on top. So what they do is they just exist to pull others down. The spoilers, they just exist to pull others down and destroy the ones that are moving forward. And that's how the enemy works in your life. The devil's a spoiler. He simply wants you to lose. The truth is, though, he knows he's already lost long-term. He wants to get you to doubt your destiny. He wants to distort the truth that's in your life. So the way to resist him is what I call fueling your faith. Add gasoline to your faith. The Bible says that there, there are two elements to faith, and this is real important. 
two elements of faith are this. One is that faith comes by hearing God's word. So when you hear God's word, when you listen to it, you li- that's why preaching is so important. It's not just some fancy little thing we do on Sunday, but you listen to it. And you, you're going to hear it. You're going to absorb it. You hear God's word, and you're also reading it, and, and you're, you're, you're digesting it. You're finding creative ways to get God's word into your life. So you, faith comes by hearing God's word. The Bible also says faith without action is dead. So it's more. It's not just getting data in your head. It's about taking action on that data and doing something with it this afternoon, this evening, tonight, tomorrow. So you're doing things with what God's word is telling you to do. That's faith in action. And when you do that, that is the primary way to resist the devil. You're like, well, that's that's simple. You know, I, I kind of want to like go and pull one of these swords out and, and go after him. I mean, that's much, much cooler. I mean, the guys are in the room going, yeah, yeah, let's, let's grab a sword and go after him. Well, the truth is, the Bible says, <laughs> this is cool, the scripture are like a sword. It's a, it's called the sword of the spirit. And we, we, we actually hear God's word and we do what God's word says and we're fighting. It is an offensive weapon. And, and we are fighting back on the force of hell, Satan, the devil. God gives you this truth, and He wants you to move forward in your life. In fact, today we're going to be heading over to to uh, our lunch party here in a little bit. And I, I was looking, I was looking at the radar, and it looks like the, this little line of of rain is slowly moving, it's pushing its way over to Dallas. So I'm very grateful for that. You know, um, it can come back tonight. I'm very happy with that. But as long as it's not here between one and three, I'm going to be just fine. So it looks like we're going to be fine. But uh, the Stephanie, everything okay? Everything looking good? All right, great, great. All right, all right. Well, you know what? I, I today we're we're all going over to the Bursey's house, and and stuff's in your program. You know, I really want you to go there. I, I really want you to go. We have food for everybody, so plenty of food. Well, why are you going to miss out on that? But more than that, something's going to happen there. And this is a way that we we resist the resistance. Because what's going to happen there is you're going to get to talk to other people and maybe get to know someone else who might be even kind of like you and on a similar journey in their faith. You get to know other people that are really wanting to serve God. That's really important, guys. That's important. A second thing that will happen is we baptize people there. So if a person has given their life to Christ or they've never been meaningfully baptized, we baptize. Why do we do that? That's that's goofy. I mean, you're going to get all wet. I mean, come on, you guys got wet when you got out of your car and walked in here today. So so it's a, it's not about trying to make you look funny because you're you're going to get all wet. No, the, the deal is is that there's something powerful that happens because the Bible says that we are to be baptized and this is part of what we do because it's our public way of telling other people I'm serving Jesus with all my heart. And today I, I want to challenge any of you who are here today you've given your life to Christ but you've never been baptized in water before. And we just It's pretty simple the way we do it. It's actually kind of fun. I mean we just get in the swimming pool and baptize and like yeah it's, it's pretty cool. And it, it, it's, it's awesome. It's awesome. Everyone celebrates. We, we stop the, the eating of the hamburgers and hot dogs and food and stuff and potato salad, and we just look at this and go, wow, this is awesome. That's something I believe in. It's something that we do. And baptize you in water because it's this, it's, it's this public way of saying, here's the cool part. The old me is buried. There's a new me that's here. And that, that is a way of even declaring it to darkness, to the resistance. You're declaring to the resistance that I'm moving forward in my life. Some of you 
you've given your life to Christ, but you've never been meaningfully baptized. Maybe you were sprinkled as a baby or baptized as a baby or a small child. You never really knew what it was going on or someone pressured you to do it and, and you, you didn't really understand. Well, I, I, I encourage you to make the choice today to be baptized in water. Just say, I'm going to do it. Yeah, see, that's actually obedience to God's word because God's word says do it and, and, and faith without action is dead. So, so I encourage you to connect some action to what God says and that is taking the sword and you're actually fighting the enemy. It really does work, guys. I'm telling you, it works. I don't understand all the dynamics of it, but I know the truth, it works. That's why water baptism is a big deal. So... I know the common excuse is, well, Pastor, I don't have anything to get baptized in. Well, good, because we've taken care of that for you, too. You can go right over there. We have towels, and we have shorts, and we have T-shirts and stuff for you. You can take them with you and go change over at their house and, and, uh, and be baptized and change back into your regular clothes, and everything's going to be cool. So we've taken away all your excuses. Like, yeah, but Pastor, I have to have lunch. Well, we have food there, too. So all of your excuses are gone. All of them are gone. It's just this act of resisting the resistance with this action that is physical and that is intentional about moving your life forward. And I think that there are probably some of you right now, you know in your heart you need to be baptized in water. Some of you, you may, have, you may even have children that are in the back. They need to be baptized in water. You know they need to be. I encourage you after you're done here today, talk to them about it and bring them. Let's baptize them. Just watch what God will do. So we're going to pray right now. And as we pray, I'm going to give you the opportunity to give your life to Christ. And if you give your life to Christ, the next reasonable step is to be baptized. And I just say do it today. Because you're not going to be doing anything else anyway. That's a whole lot better way to start your week off. If you need Jesus in your life, things are not right between you and God. I encourage you to pray this prayer with me right now. Meet it from the bottom of your heart. Dear Jesus, forgive me of my sin and wash me clean. I give my life to you. And I ask you to heal me, to change me, and to transform me. I'm grateful that you died for me and that you took my shame taken the penalty of my sin. Therefore, I choose today to serve you. In Jesus' name.